0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Front Page Dub. It is your host Cody O'Jita, back to cover another fortnight of high quality A-League women's actions, joined as always by FPF's favourite WA writer, Matt
1: Olsen. Matt, how you doing today, mate? Yeah, ignores the fact that I am the only one, Uh but yeah. Uh, I- minor
0: details, mate, minor details. <laughs>
1: Now look it's um it's a very healthy time uh, in the dub, I think and I, I may just be saying that because of who's on top of the league at the moment, <laughs> but uh that's no, it's good vibes, good vibes all around, and obviously you know uh, just on a on a football note outside of the uh, outside of the dub soccer is in Palestine um tonight as of when we're recording, so obviously looking to tuck into that later,
0: yeah, I don't know if I'll be getting around to it because it'll be one o'clock in the morning where I am, and I don't do well at that time of the morning these days, unfortunately. So um, not my vibe. Unless I'm editing this still, then, you know, maybe I do have a reason to stay up for a little bit longer past my bedtime. Mm. But there has been so much going on in the last fortnight. We've got to get straight to it. We're going to start off probably something that's a little bit of a downer. I think there's going to be a lot of downer aspects in this episode. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot of good happening around the league. There's been a lot of things that kind of make people sad, unfortunately. But we'll start with... Probably the biggest news that's broken today. Holly McNamara, her ACL. The third time I believe she's done it in her career. The second time she's done it since she started in the A-League. Probably one of the worst lucks with injury I've seen from a player. At least a player that's of her stature or with, of her potential. But speaks to a greater issue because it's is the fourth, well, fourth major injury we had of the, of that like. Nat Tobin obviously doing it in round one. We're still waiting to hear what Chelsea Blissett's is. Really isn't. I would say it's a good look because it happens around the world in women's football, but it's still quite a concern, and it's something that's been very well documented. But even then, just how long is it till we can actually find a solution to this?
1: Look, it, it is a it is a global issue, and it it comes down to, um, you know, the the standard of uh, of equipment that that women have been using, and obviously, you know, there's been um, efforts made to sort of help uh you know with um i don't know what word to use here, sorry the logistics of of uh of better managing these um these injury issues in in women that don't exist in men and um the the a c l injuries in particular are, are one that really come up uh in in the in the female space we remember that there are a lot of players that miss the world cup um especially from european countries um with a c l injuries and um for it to sh- strike Holly McNamara after you know, getting that Socceroos call-up for the Canada Friendlies is is pretty pretty darn tragic. Um, but you're right, it does speak to a, a, a broader issue, one that I think global football as a whole is trying to work on, but one that we're still struggling to find answers to. For one reason or another, I would refer uh, any listeners to check out the TFO football video on why female injuries are more common. Um, because it is a really decent explainer of it basically being certain physical features uh, that women tend to have um, and the elements of of certain equipment they use and and why it's such a a big issue. Um, So if if you're interested, I'd I'd, I'd give that one a view and and really just sort of gain a bit of a perspective on, um, on what efforts are being made, how they're being made and what we can do to stop this from happening in the future, if, if at all, because it's just tragic. It is absolutely tragic for uh, Holly Mack, who's an exceptional talent, but someone who I think in the long run, uh, might be, be really beset by a lot of injuries, unfortunately. And we, we really hate to see that because her talent is going to take her far beyond, uh, the Australian domestic scene, as we know.
0: Yeah, you don't want it to turn into, and I hate to use this example of Jack Wilshire situation where you have someone. Bursts on the seam so much potential, but unfortunately a bad run of injuries just kind of holds them back. And obviously he's this kind of a lot of, I might say a lot of minor injuries, but it wasn't like he did two ACLs. That's basically a months once out at a time to try and come back from. And it's a shame because, like you said, she's got so much potential in her. God knows where she's going to go in football if she's able to keep her body fit. And sometimes things like this, like it's an injury that occurs from just doing normal football actions. It's nothing extraordinary. It's just a simple twist turn. Maybe land the wrong way. I think even the um injury she got, she got it while she scored as well. That's absolutely nuts. She scored a winning goal, got a brace of the game, probably player of the match as well. One of the best players in, um, in the league this season, particularly in that week, and did her ACL while doing it. It's kind of sad, and it's something I've spoken about elsewhere, not necessarily on this podcast before. But And you mentioned the fact that this is something that happens worldwide. Obviously, a lot of European players had to deal with it in the lead-up to the World Cup. Unfortunately, we missed a whole lot of stars. In our backyard, because of it, but biggest thing that, ha- that we've got to take into consideration with Australia is those players in Europe they've got contracts, they've sur- they're surrounded by top quality medical facilities that they can go and do their rehab in and basically focus on trying to get back as soon as possible. You look at someone like Natobin for example, who had to take time off work to recover because of that injury. so it's definitely something here that probably hits a little bit harder. In terms of the off-field stuff, because unfortunately the a Women's isn't professional. Is that another reason why it should be? I'm going to leave that up to other people to decide, but it's something that definitely needs to be looked into. And if there's any uni students listening that are doing a Masters of Physio, Masters of OT, or any other um, fancy allied health stuff like that, and they're looking for a thesis idea... By all means, knock, your, knock yourself out. <laughs> Cause the sooner someone looks into this, the better. And if no one's going to pay you to do it, at least let it contribute to something good for yourself. Um, transfer news for this stage of the season. Obviously, the A-League women's window does run up until boxing day, but considering it was a little bit quiet the first couple of rounds, there's been a real spurt over the last couple of weeks. I think between two weeks ago and the start of the season, it was only really Western United announcing stuff. And we didn't really go through that a lot. So we probably will. Push a bit of time today to talk about Hillary Bill returning to the club and Evani Prakash signing. But what's happened in the last couple of weeks is definitely taken the headlines. The biggest one, obviously, and we spoke about this, the possibility of it earlier in the season. Emily Van Egmont coming back to the A-League. And if you want to talk about the impact that these midsouls have had during the World Cup, the line, to get just a photo or an autograph with her after the game, um, I believe Jets did, uh, chance, a chance for fans to um, take the pitch, run around, give the kids... Um, chance to score, and a couple of um penalties being taken at Melissa Barbieri in that time as well, which is quite interesting, but Emily Van Egmont's back in the league, people are excited, Jets get a bumper crowd to watch her play, they almost get a win over Melbourne City because of it, only a four-game stint, but that was something that we spoke about it would have been three or four weeks ago now, those four games can really do something for their season.
1: Yeah the, the the manifestation of this was obviously something that I think no one can really take a lot of surprise with and yeah her her impact is uh like we've we've sort of said we've already sort of explored it um her impact on on the whole region and uh, engaging girls in in a team that if we're being honest they're probably you know they're not going to really be much of a force in the competition uh in this season so Yeah, her impact will be important to that change room. And I think the few games that she's around, you'll look at a lot of the younger names, the more inexperienced names, uh, really being better off for having someone like her around, um, which is really good to see off the back end of um, an NWSL season. So, yeah, I I don't really know how else to expand on it. Um, You know, you've got someone that that is going to be a part of that Matilda's effect, you know, someone that did score at the World Cup, of course. And, um, you know, the Jets will, will really, really value, uh, that experience coming to the, to the table.
0: We'll go into the signings a little bit more detail later on, but some of the yeah. other big ones, uh, a lot of returns to the league. Chelsea Dauber coming back to Adelaide. Casey Dumont going to the Mariners. Obviously, not a return to the club, but a return to the league following her stint in the AFL. Amina Ekic coming back to City. That'll be a big one. And just another signing to throw in there. Jets signing defender Kizinga. I, shall see. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. There's a high chance I've butchered it, but um, De- Democratic Republic of Congo International. Another downing aspect that we've got to talk about, Canberra and Wanderers obviously were meant to play this weekend, postponed because there was no grounds available for them to play at, which Canberra obviously came out, maybe not the club themselves, but a lot of players made sure that their feelings were known about the situation, Michelle Heyman, um, speaking to the media and basically saying that clubs should forfeit if they can't play the game. And a couple, I won't say snarky Instagram stories, but a couple passionate Instagram stories I think might be the better word to show distaste. Uh, Vesna but in particular, pointing out that this is a professional league and a game is being cancelled because there's no ground available. Story obviously being this game was meant to be played in Bathurst. After the NRL season, there were some weather conditions that stopped the field from recovering properly and providing a proper surface at an A-League match can actually be played on. They had to move it back to Sydney. Unfortunately, that was the weekend that the New South Wales African Cup was playing played at Wanderers Football Park. So that place is unavailable because I think most, if not all, the fields are actually being used because it's still the group stage of the tournament. So even though there's seven or eight fields there, that's the main reason why that couldn't be used. And it looks like a lot of the MPL grounds were out of action because they were doing their off-season renovations, or not renovations, but off-season maintenance of the field. So. A lot of those are out of action too because I would look at it and think Marconi'd be a great option for him. But Matt, obviously you're not familiar too much with the ground space in Western Sydney. We have a shit ton of fields in Western Sydney. There would have been plenty of options. I understand if clubs are doing off-field, ma- off-season maintenance, stuff like that, but for there not to be one single one available, what, what, what did you make of the situation?
1: Well, I, firstly, I think your comment's are a little bit unfair. I mean, I know my football grounds in Australia. Uh, I was going to say,
0: I'll say that to you. You you, you just have a knack for knowing this sort of stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I recall when Campbelltown uh, wasn't ready for the in time and they just impromptu went to Penrith. There's an example right there. Right? Like, I just... <laughs> You're yeah, the Western Sydney Wanderers, for goodness sake. Like, there's somewhere to play that match, especially for the women's side. And what I really, 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 really dislike about this... Is that it is actually indicative of the Wanderers' administrative approach to women's football. Whether whether we like it or not, okay, there are some systemic issues going on at that football club that we already know about, you know, in inadvertently from things that have really come to light about the reasons as to why Robbie Hooker was put in the job, and we don't we don't need to get into it. But let's just say that Cat Smith had a lot of worries that were probably fairly warranted, right? And. You know, I just, I look at a lot of the reasons as to why something like this happens. The African Cup being held, fairly legitimate. The game going out to a rural community, that community not being able to host the game, again, fairly legitimate. But how much effort was applied in the follow-up to say, let's try and find that subsequent venue? It's almost as though the club said, no, it's too difficult, we're not going to worry about it. And again, it's indicative of, if this was the men's team, would you be so... You know, clear in your thinking. Blase well, about to, it. Yeah, would you would you blame other factors? And they, I like, I just can't sit here in full confidence and say, okay, like, yeah, they would take a similar approach. I, I genuinely feel like they've just said we don't care. Something else that was pointed out to me the other day: Um Wanderers still run like separate social media for their women's team, and I think they are one of the only clubs that does. And again. Doesn't sound that bad in retrospect, but it is just one of those things where you look at it on face value and you're like, Why don't they want the women's team to be on the main page? And I just I just wanderers being wonderers, I just can't help but think there's a bit of a deeply rooted issue there <laughs> that no now, to address.
0: That is actually interesting because it's not necessarily a thing of they're still being run on separate accounts. They were being run on the set on the same account. And I think it was this off-season they separated it up until this
1: season. It's bizarre, isn't it?
0: It's interesting because yeah. it goes against what everyone else is trying to do in the league where they're trying to kind of bring everyone under the same umbrella. And look, it's I don't know. If,
1: it's literally like the, how the APL intend to run it and how they well, Yeah, considering it it everything's kind of so, under the
0: same names, the clubs are basically yeah. being issued licenses together. So it's it's an interesting Auckland, approach.
1: Auckland just, Auckland just got announced as two teams.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's actually another news point that we're going to go through in a minute. But um. No, it's 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 definitely an interesting approach. Another point that came from this um, issue of having no grants available. Apparently, there was a few grants that were explored that didn't meet broadcast requirements. Which that part to me is a little bit crazy because Brisbane wasn't at the end of last season the and at the end of the season before, they weren't using Perry Park, where they were playing out of basically a park soccer venue. I don't see how, even if you're getting real desperate, like a uh, what's um place called Cook Park in St Mary's, which used to host NSL games back in the day. There, there would have had to have been somewhere. Like, if you're not going to put the money up for a Bankwest, a a Panther Stadium, which I understand stadium fees are expensive, but surely there would have been a community ground available. That and a lot of place, a lot of areas in Western Sydney probably would have loved the exposure as well. It's interesting. Maybe they even
1: that. Can I just close that? They didn't even need to necessarily stay within Western Sydney. As absurd as that is, So my earlier point. When Macarthur found a solution for Campbelltown, when they had ground issues, they went to Penrith. Not exactly anywhere near <laughs> that that region, right? They could have played in the Inner West, and they and it still would have been like okay. They maybe possibly could have gone to Leichhardt or something, right? Like it, it just there's some solutions there. Work on them. They were really desperate.
0: Maybe Wollongong.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 100%, 100%, they could have, they could have done it. And, and you would have looked at that and been like, well, that's absurd. But it would have been a solution. So it wouldn't have actually realistically been that absurd. We're talking about, come on, we're talking about the Wanderers women's team. They don't even really get that much attendance anyway. If They moved, if they moved to somewhere far, as far away as Wollongong, like, I'm being, no, but I'm being serious. If they moved away as, as far as somewhere like Wollongong, like, it wouldn't have even actually impacted them that much at all. They should have just done it.
0: If anything, it's a chance to, for some new um, new fan base to kind of enter the league and watch the football live. I know Wollongong obviously yeah. had the Phoenix there. And a little Wolves bit of a while ago.
1: Wolves in the, Wolves are in the as well. So so, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: look, we're going to... Speaking of expansion, speaking of all that sort of stuff, like you said before, Auckland have been granted a licence. Obviously, they're going to be in the A-League men's from next season, but it'll be 25-26. I mean, 2025 is already looking like a big year already for football in Australia. We don't know how else it's going to look. Obviously, this camp aside meant to come into the A-League men's they already have a Canberra team in the women's, so it could be an uneven season unless MacArthur decide to get their women's team, which, to their credit, they already do ha- technically have up and running into the A-League women's, but um we're expanding further into New Zealand. And considering how Wellington Phoenix have done this season, we're showing there is some quality that once it is nurtured and in a position to really take the A-League women's by storm, they can. And now they're going to add another team in there to really, if there's other hidden gems around like a Macy Fraser that just hasn't gotten their opportunity yet, there's going to be more opportunity for them to be promoted to a elite women's level. So considering three years ago there was no professional opportunity for clubs in New Zealand, the fact that there's now going to be two by 2025, that's pretty cool, isn't
1: it? Yeah, well, if you know anything, do, I mean, I'm just going to ask you this very quickly. Do you know anything about the chairman, Bill form? Do you know anything about I'll be him?
0: honest. The only thing I really like, obviously, I know he's own, he's got a stake in and He owns Bournemouth. He owns that. I think it's the ice hockey team yeah, in I'll the get, US. I'll get, I'll,
1: I'll get into that in a second. Yeah. But I just want to know, do you know anything about this profile?
0: I don't know from a no. bar of soap. So
1: I think, I think like, he <laughs> understands something about this. So I'm a bit of an ice hockey man myself. Um, I've covered it in Australasia and I by extension follow it in North America quite a bit. Uh, that's not so so relevant what he was basically saying was i started an ice hockey team in vegas 5 years ago look at this we already have a championship ring like and he and he actually he he didn't even start with that he actually started by saying the reason why i'm in new zealand is i own wineries here i own restaurants here I give to this community, and I want to continue to give to this community, and the best way to do that is through sport. And then he went on to say, "I've had an ice hockey team for five years. We already have this." Was that the Podcast. part where he
0: kind of went on about that? I love sports, like it's sports, like that kind of quote. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah.
1: And I, and I think that that is something that's very very important, right? This is a guy, right, that knows a good investment when he sees one. And what I have a feeling to to make this relevant to Dub, right, because we don't going to go too too off off the block, but. The fact of the matter is, he is someone that that can come in to an expanded environment and immediately make change happen. He'll want to make it happen in the short term, like he he through the the history of every team that he's had, he doesn't fuck, he doesn't fuck around, right? He is going to come into this environment with Wellington, and some people say that this is going to be sorry, Wellington <laughs> with Auckland, and and some people will think it'll be a, a bit of a conflict with a lot of the youth development and, and what Wellington are trying and the players that they've got. But what I think he'll actually do here is, I think he'll actually recruit mostly marquee players. New Zealand don't even have that many marquee players, so maybe he'll bring some from overseas. But what I'm thinking is in the vein, of he'll actually bring in some big-hitting Australian players to Auckland, as controversial as that might be, and he's going to have a team that's on the board and winning straight away. Western United style, they'll be on the board and they'll be winning. The question there is, will he try to be doing this more in the male space fumble than the female space? I don't know. But let's assume he has two teams here. He's going to take the normal, classic, Bill Foley approach of let's get a team together that's already available to win, and this Auckland team will look like... It'll look far from what we're expecting. But let's also not forget that New Zealand has X amount of pool of talent, and that will still be extracted from as well. So I don't see it being a great sign from the Phoenix, but I'm noting that this Auckland Knights, or whatever the hell they're going to, call, going to be called, again, I have a very distinctly different sporting approach to what uh, the Phoenix have. And that is something that I think seeing shape out in 25-26 will be really, really fascinating, knowing a lot about Bill Foley's background.
0: Well, that's probably good as well, because you do need that variety as a sports fan, I guess, if everyone's trying to do the same thing. It stalls progress, I guess, in and, a way. And I'll tell you
1: that the contrasting approaches could make a really good rivalry as well. With Auckland, you've just got a city there where to have a big sporting franchise is like the ideal goal right and then this just fundamentally sets up a very intriguing sporting rivalry because where where Phoenix will take the more methodical approach Auckland will be all about short term results and that's really exciting
0: that's it is definitely exciting we'll see how that all plays out in 2025 but 100% look it's good for New Zealand football it's given more as much as we might see these marquee players come through it's still a, another opportunity for footballers in New Zealand to be able to play at a professional level so see how it goes to the results from the last fortnight because we've had so many news topics to cover we're only really getting into this part now obviously the first week that um played out since we last recorded Perth Glory beating Adelaide 2-1 Phoenix uh, speaking of New Zealand teams beating Western United 3-1 Mariners and Brisbane getting a one or draw victory beating Newcastle Jets 4-0 Melbourne City beating the Wanderers 4-3 which is the last time we've seen the Wanderers play And Canberra, who, unluckily, haven't played since we last recorded. um, Obviously, that game, as we've spoken about before, was rescheduled. Mariners beat Phoenix 1-0, their first win at home since their return to the league. Perth Glory and Victory playing out a pretty entertaining tool draw, Matt. You would have seen that in person, and I'm sure you would have enjoyed it. Sydney FC returning from Uzbekistan with a 3-1 win over Adelaide. West United back on the winners' board against Brisbane Roar and Newcastle Jets falling to Melbourne City 3-2, where Van Egmont almost ran the show if it wasn't for a late Holly McNamara brace. And unfortunately, we do know how that turned out. But um, aside from Perth, Matt, because I know we have spoken about Perth a fair bit on this podcast already, and I know you're well across that. But has anything else caught your eye over the last couple of weeks?
1: Well, I think the thing for me is, is that the table might seem a little bit out of whack at the moment, but I still think that we're getting results where... There's a more familiar theme sort of setting itself. I don't, I wouldn't go as far as to say that we've had any like major shocks or upsets. Is that, is that fair to say? I think things are pretty like par for the course. Like Sydney coming back from Uzbekistan and beating Adelaide routinely is an example. Um, you know, city and the Jets, lots of goals, incredible game, but city still sort of got the result. You know, like I don't, I don't think we've seen anything where it's been like, whoa, okay, that's really shaking things up. Um, I
0: think think from a results perspective, yes, but. I can't see, I can't sit here and say many people would have expected Wellington Phoenix to start the way they did. I think that's probably yeah, yeah, yeah. where the upset but, comes from. But, but they look now like a quality team now.
1: Yeah, this is sort of what I'm getting at. Right? Most of the shock of that happened in the first few rounds. Now we're kind of getting into the settling in period with five rounds of football where you can sort of tell how everyone's shaping up. And I think what's interesting about it is that in the last fortnight, in terms of what we're here to talk about, I don't actually think anything like majorly interesting. <laughs> And shocking happened like obviously that they were good they were good games of football from that perspective, but in terms of like here's the ongoing narrative, here's something that is really catching our eye I mean maybe the fact that victory was sixth going into that game at w a and and they you know didn't get the full points. Um, it was taken away from them at the death. But even then, like I was talking to Jeff, and to be honest, I I think they've still got things under control. You wouldn't say it's victory crisis mode by any means, right? So the table is a little bit out of shape from what you'd expect, but I don't think the results uh, exclusively in the last fortnight, can I please preface that, have been like um, amazing and like mind-blowing, right? It's basically what I mean.
0: Yeah, I think if there's anything that really stands out, it will be the fact that Mariners got their first win at home. Obviously, a massive day for the supporters, massive day for the club. Um, their return to the league one that was actually met with a lot of excitement from the community that's doing really well to integrate, it, which from a club perspective, they' actually run really really well over the last even five or six years even towards the end of that kind of lull period where in the men's, they were kind of shit but um they've transferred everything they are kind of doing with the men's over to the women's really well, and hopefully this win kind of spurs them on they get keep getting good crowds, keep getting good results, you never know they might put make a late push for the six. Uh, we're going to go into our deep dives now. We'll start with the transfers that have come through. Obviously, we've named the key ones that have kind of happened. But Emily van Egmond, we did touch on it a little bit, go through kind of how that's impacted, at least in the initial term. And I know you said you weren't sure how you were going to expand on it, but I want to track back to a conversation we had. And I know I did briefly mention it before, but the fact that Jets now have this really, really experienced player. And I know we kind of look at the Jets and go, okay, yeah, they're not really that competitive aside, they're not really going to offer us much in terms of shaking up the league. But there's a lot of young players there that can be influenced and lean on someone like Van Egmont for support. And the question I posed to you when we first spoke about this, I think it was even in pre-season when the talks were kind of circulating about it being a light possibility. And I said, if Van Egmont's able to come in for these four games, set a standard for those players that they can then carry through four, five or six games after, what impact as that have and do Jets suddenly look like a team, not necessarily a top-six team, but a team that probably can push a little bit underneath it, not a bottom-three side like we were predicting for them. That first game, they almost look like a completely different team, and e- Emily Van once set a standard for, if you want to be an elite player and play in the Matildas, this is the level you need to play at. Does that, do you still think, well, I won't say do you still think, does that rub off on the Jets anyway after she leaves? I
1: think it, I think it can, but I, I think that regardless of of what changes we see from a mental perspective, I still think that this team has a very easily definable ceiling. And I just, are we, are we going to see them turn into a winning team overnight? Like Cody, we well, probably not. I will concede though that that there could be a lasting impact made and that lasting impact could be made to some very impressionable players. But that, that becomes a longer term conversation. It doesn't become anything in the interim that we can sit here and and analyze the depth. Uh, and maybe, maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe I'm being harsh because, um, the fact that they put three past City is, is impressive in of itself. There's clearly signs there's progress, you know, when they were away to, um, to Perth, you know, I saw some, some certain individuals in that team that really, really stepped up. And that's, that's great to see. But yeah, let's just, let's just maybe give this one, um, <laughs> a bit of a buy for, for this fortnight and expand on it when we've seen them come out under Van Egmont. Cause I mean, we're still, stern, we have only seen. Her in that in that team once, right? So I think it's a conversation for a little bit further down the road, and I'm just just being honest with you. Coach.
0: Look, <laughs> we'll move on because there are a few other transfers we've got to talk about.
1: Yeah, um, I, I'd love to get into this.
0: Yeah, Chelsea Dorb is probably the first one that I got. Go, I'm going to go into because Adelaide probably do need a bit of a spark. Let's be real; yeah. they haven't had the best start to the season. They do. They, there's flat. There's flashes where they look like they can be a good side in this competition. Unfortunately, look, it probably is a bit more defensive ways that are letting them down, but they probably could do it with a bit more of a spark going forward as well. Chelsea Dauper could provide that. We know how dangerous she was when she was first in the A-League. She was absolutely lethal, and the way she linked up with Fiona Watts was spectacular. Obviously, Fiona Watts isn't there this time, but you do have quality players around her still. Elani Ganshevsky, who... And that was the biggest thing we said about Adelaide. She probably isn't at a stage in her career yet where she can shoulder that responsibility of being the focal point for an A-League club. Now she doesn't have to do that, but she's still in a space where she can be a little bit more than what she was at first. She can now be an out now out starting player, but have someone there to lean on to kind of go, yep, they're the one sheltering in this responsibility to really lead the line and score most of the goals. It they could, they could possibly have a really good impact on this side. There's an opportunity. I still, I think maybe this stars probably, I won't say damaging too much in terms of finals contention. They could go on a massive run since, but it is going to take a lot for them to make the six from this point on but we could see a rejuvenated Adelaide side moving forward still.
1: I have a lot of time for uh, the Adelaide project and Adrian Stenter that I maybe didn't have until I'd sort of spoken to him and got that insight. But with Mariah Lee, um, an experienced American international who has spent time at Celtic, with Janczewski, Hannah Blake, and now the addition of Chelsea Dauber, especially going forward. You can see more of a team forming. You can see a scope for them to make a bit of a run for the six that you maybe couldn't see otherwise. I think it's a brilliant piece of business. I think it's exactly what that team needs. Um, still keeps the question marks around depth, and I don't think that they necessarily have the answers for it, and they're very sort of candid about that. But you have an addition here, someone who's familiar with the club, someone who can really sort of get the changing room a certain way and amped up. Um, and a coach that that really knows what he's doing with that piece of business. So for me, it's a it's a A plus um, plus in terms of what Adelaide need and and how it can be delivered. Um, and I'd say that I'm definitely far more confident with the Chelsea Dorber in Adelaide than I than I have been in some other teams around the, around the league. Not about to say that they're about to become a winning side out of nowhere, but it's it's a step forward and it's a really big step forward. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the execution
0: yeah, the execution of it probably be the key part. And look, Stent a quality coach. We know that. I don't think the start of the season you can really put on him. And Adelaide have invested. Like uh, usually, if a club's coming towards the bottom of the ladder, you question what they're doing at a boardroom level. I don't know if you can do that with Adelaide, considering they've gone and made Stenter a full-time coach. The first time they've done that in A-League women's history. There's uh, there are quality players in that side. They're looking for. They're still looking to improve on it. I think the lack of depth comes from the fact that those players behind the starting eleven—they are looking to make sure are young South Australians that they can eventually feed into the first team. And for them to be quality to first team players, Amelia Murray is probably the best example of that, who yep. probably has been able to make that step so far. Yep. There, there's still positive signs at Adelaide. It's just been there's probably a sense of unluckiness at the start. It's Maybe individual areas that are kind of holding them back from being able to see our games and win games, and a little bit lapses in concentration at the back. That's what's making the defensive record look quite poor at this point in time. Speaking of which, Emily Grove, much improved performance to what we've seen at the start of the season against Sydney FC. But there's, I think this could actually breathe a bit of life into them. Like you said, it's a local girl as well, someone that fans can kind of go, oh, yeah, she's back. I really want to go out and see her again. That's obviously a massive positive. And then when you start having Emily Condon come back into the side and you can have her and Dylan Holmes in the midfield together, you're almost building half the side that was there in um 2021, 2022. So, some
1: awesome really, really decent pieces of business elsewhere in the team. Talk about the impact of someone like Mariah Lee. Huge. She is. She is a huge yeah, of asset for that team. Um, and um, thing-
0: Isabel Hodgson as well was injured at the start of the season. She's been able to come back in as well.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think it's a it's a decent enough team. But but just to just to your point on what you would said there about sort of the depth and the reasons that it had been done at the boardroom level. I think there's no harm in admitting that your team's in a bit of an honest rebuilding phase. And if it's a rebuilding phase to help more South Australian youth become the face of that club, that's huge on merit as well. So I 100% agree with you. Um, and I almost feel a bit, a bit silly for like my overreaction to their, their lack of talent in the team initially. But again, I understand that both of us, I think it's fair to say we're still sort of talking long term, right? We're not talking about. In the immediate, they're going to do this and that and this and that. It's just their signs are of a good team now. And and Chelsea Dorbos, one signing, has, has added to that in a massive way. But also on the rebuilding point, it's like if you finish 7th or 8th, but you're showing intent in what you're doing, it's 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 still a good, healthy thing to be at um, as, a, as, a, as a sporting team. So I think Adelaide is still making a lot of the right choices, absolutely. Oh,
0: of course. I don't even argue like, if they're finishing ninth or something like that. But they are seeing that progress where this team can be successful in the future. I don't think fans are going to be it's, too upset. It's, it's,
1: it's something that we don't talk about openly enough in A-League circles, maybe because a lot a lot of people don't have a want to embrace the fact that we're a capital league and a franchise model and things like that. But we don't talk enough about an honest rebuild and the power of being as a franchise in a rebuild because it's, it's too North American to talk about the honest merit of it or whatever. Some, something along that logic, I don't know. But what we have here is we have a sporting franchise and they're in the midst of a rebuild and it's perfectly fine. It's it's a hell of yeah, look,
0: place I don't think I don't a think to a club's play. ever gonna actually come out and admit, hey, look, we're probably not gonna do well this season because we are in a bit of a rebuild. Yeah. But we can sit here and say this it's it very clearly is that. And, you know, obviously let's just say Adelaide don't do well this season, and someone on Twitter starts running their mouth that doesn't know what's going on and sits there and goes, Why well, is Stenta still in a job are we gonna question it? There is a reason why there is a dip in performance, and it goes beyond what Stenter's basically capable of. It is what this is going to be Adelaide's reality for this season, maybe even next season. But you go through pain now, you see the rewards in maybe two, three, four years' time, and suddenly this makes it worth it. And Stenter's someone that you look at at and go, he could be in this job for another five, ten years if he's able to continue on the path that he is. Yep. That's almost unheard of in modern football because once you have one bad season you're usually out the door. It's but if Adelaide's still-
1: unheard of in women's football.
0: Yeah. Um, but if he's if he's able to really keep maintain a course that Preed's long term success for Adelaide, you take a couple of years towards the bottom of the ladder, and frankly, the reality is they're not playing that bad either. So yeah. there's clearly a deeper thing going on in Adelaide. We've got to give him a bit of time. It's probably gonna be a couple of years we have got to give him, but Looking forward to seeing in 2025. Another year, another reason to kind of look forward to that year. Um, Amina Ekic, someone who last season before she did her ACL, there we go, another, um, ACL to add to the conversation, really took the leg by storm and looked like she was going to be kind of in similar fashion to what Riley Basner was doing. Looked like she was going to be a really, really good player for Melbourne City, even if she was only going to be here until this her season started at racing Louisville. She's now come back. We haven't obviously seen her too much of her yet because she's still got to kind of build into the season, but you're looking at, if she's able to hit the high she did last season when she was here, that Melbourne City side, considering they're already looking like one of the best teams in the league, just gets even scarier.
1: 100%. Um, You're talking about adding an asset of an international player, someone who's on form, someone who's familiar enough with the league, into a team where... Again, maybe we actually, funnily enough, similarly to Adelaide, we maybe had some question marks about some of the depth going on with the city, but you couldn't deny that they were, you know, close to a five star team on paper, and and you're getting more of that, more of that, um, that sort of touch and, and feel and vibe. And yeah, teams, teams in this, in this league happen to actually know how to do their business because they're so used to working with modest means. Uh, city working with modest means because of their, their ownership with, uh, the Abu Dhabi group. They'll, they'll get the business done in such a fine, modest fashion that it doesn't even classify as, as modest anymore. It's big-hitting business in a league that doesn't really know how to conceptualise big-hitting business, and that's uh, that's ultimately what you get with the City Women's Program. So, yeah, will add a lot to the, to the side, and, and um, yeah, it's another fairly impressive one. I, I'm sensing a common theme here. I think we actually like the look of all of these things.
0: <laughs> I think, look, I'd... I look at the business that's been done over the last couple of couple weeks, like maybe last month. There hasn't really been anything that's questionable. Like, even we'll go into Western United next, where they brought in Ivani um, Prakash, I'm not sure if you were across her in the NPL women's, but she was
1: oh, she fantastic. Was, she was, mate, it, it's hard to not know who Ivani Prakash is. She was in a World Cup ad for Combank during the World Cup. <laughs>
0: to be fair, though, if you're none the wiser, you probably just think it's an actor that they brought in. You don't actually realize she's on the verge of being a professional footballer. But
1: she's she's played she's played in national team setups. as She's well, been in, in the um young tilders
0: as well. I think she's in yeah, the under twenty exactly yeah. squad that got announced today as yeah. well. Yeah, you're talking about a very very good player and someone that I've spoken to Sydney FC fans who have seen her in the NPL this season that kind of wished that she was going to be an addition to their side. Unfortunately, Sydney can't have all the good players in, in Australia. But um, you're talking about someone that even at her age probably can still add something to the this Western United team, and that says something pretty special about her. But if you're talking about West United, the big signing there's got to be Hilary Bill. I well, mean, you look at the impact that she had when she first came to the league. She was a large part of the reason why there was such a solid defensive setup at that club. I understand. Look, I was looking forward to seeing the DeLoss kind of take the reins as the club's number one. Maybe she hadn't hit the heights that we kind of expected of her. But if the club had the opportunity to bring Hillary Bill back from a purely competitive perspective, you don't turn that down. I understand there's value that comes out of trying to develop players, but West United are a side that's shown in the past. They want to be a side that can be capable of competing at the top of the league. So, of course, you're going to make a signing like this, even if it's another short-term deal, another just loan signing, that she goes back to America. You take it. She's a quality keeper. She's someone that really embraced the A-League and the club. You're not talking about someone that's kind of just here, here, kind of trying to collect the paycheck, make a name for himself. It seems to be real care about the club as well. So 100% fantastic bit of business by Western United.
1: There's two two main things I have on this. I think if you're Western United, the one thing you need to do is replicate last season. You need to get as much consistency as you can. Hillary Bill adds that. But it's, it's more than that. What this is, and I love this because we've already kind of been talking about it. We know that MacArthur are cooking things behind the scenes. We've seen a lot of what the Mariners are doing for their culture. And we know that Auckland are going to have a big hitting impact from Bill Foley's address earlier this morning. Expansion sides in this competition are showing so much intent. How good is it? How good is it? Honestly, Western want to be this big hitting side. And we're seeing, and we're seeing that intent across the board. It's a really, really awesome thing. Now I know again, just the signing of Hillary Beale isn't, whoa, look at this. You know, Western United are taking things so seriously. I'm obviously just talking more in terms of their overall approach. But it is that
0: The direction team.
1: Yeah, it is. it is. It's that consistency. It's that direction. It's that want to be the best possible team that you can be. And it's freaking awesome because Hilary Veal is someone who is going to deliver in a big way, and she's going to be a very, very big presence behind the scenes for that team and for the, her familiarity in the team, for her, her love for the team, what they've given her in Australia, how many foreign players here come here and talk complimentary about how these clubs treat them. As, as human beings and as people who are going things in through things in their lives, I mean it's it's really just awesome to see that. It's it's just like we don't we don't when when people when people smack these these franchises and say all different kinds of things about the business and the direction of Australian football. This is a very relevant talking point to bring up, especially with this whole national second tier being being announced as well. I know I'm going off on a tangent again. <laughs> Um, but it has been a huge week. There's been announcements coming left, right and center. And I just, I just want to get, get to the air of this right. Because when I look at Western United, all I have ever seen for all, all of the, the criticisms that you can label at them, all I've ever seen from them at the boardroom level is honest intent. And, and they are, they are really trying that by luring a foreign player back and someone who is at the heart of the club, someone who cares about the club, someone who speaks highly of the people that are in her, professional environment and her life while she's at the club and she's come come back because there is unfinished business they lost the grand final they want to get back there and produce that and that's the kind of thing that i feel like a club like western united can really deliver that we don't see enough across the board so don't don't for one second tell me that western united are some plastic franchise and that they don't offer enough to the game wow i'm getting really built up about this but like just It's, it's, it's right there and we're seeing it across all levels of the game right now. This is, this is the manifestation of something positive in the independent APL era with a new team that we just, we don't talk about enough more broadly. And okay, I'm really fired up about this because of the whole Bill Foley thing, clearly. (laughs) But like, I just, this is it. This is the, this is the manifestation of what this is all about. And it's good, it's good. It's great to see.
0: I think it comes from a sense of, Australian clubs have really seen the value of women's football as well. I think that's something that's probably not as tapped in overseas. And I understand because they're leeching off men's clubs that are able to make a billion dollar profit or something stupid like that, that they can play, pay their women's a professional wage. Unfortunately, we don't have the money that we can do that. So probably from a service level perspective, it doesn't look like we're trying to invest as much as what we're doing, what clubs are doing overseas. But for what we are able to do, we do really, really well. You see a lot of clubs, and it prob- you talk about the expansion clubs doing really well. They're coming in with a clean slate to go, okay, we've got a chance to really make an impact in the women's football scene. We've got this clean slate. Let's build something straight away that is indicative that we want to be at the top of the women's game. Well, Intervenius took a while to get there, but you look at West United. They took three years before they were even in the A-League to make sure they had a competitive side. Mariners brought in a really high quality coach to go I've got links to all these really good players in the MPL New South Wales I'm going to be able to build a competitive team we're still waiting to see what Auckland's going to bring to the table of course because it's two years until we're actually going to see them but there is potential we could see this really Rolls Royce team that's going to go we want to be like like Melbourne City when they first came into their league women's we're going to make sure we build a side that's going to take the league by storm straight away you look at other clubs in the league that have been there for a while. The reason why there's probably been a longer turnover in regards to trying to implement that is they had practices that they needed to kind of build on top of and there's had to be a bit of a bigger turnaround instead of going, okay, we've got nothing here. They've had, I guess you could say, worse than nothing in a way where they've had to kind of turn that around and build on top of that again. It's probably why we're only seeing Adelaide really show, I want not say really show a direction in women's football because that 21-22 season, even the season before that, they looked like they were cooking. But that was just having a really good team there. We're seeing direction with them now. Perth, they stuck by Parkas when he was doing really poor. Now he's been able to build up something. It's, really long. it's a long process where they had to rebuild in the face of losing the best women's football player on the planet. That's not an easy thing to do. Sydney FC probably started that process a little bit earlier. That's why they look like they've been at the top for a while. Well, that's why they have been at the top for a while because they were able to do that earlier simply because they started earlier. Canberra have the added bonus of just being a women's team, so they've always been focusing on that, but there's an element of these clubs being in a culture where women's football is taken really seriously, but also having the opportunity to build something out of nothing, and as much as that sounds like a negative, they've actually been able to turn it into a positive, because they're going, from the get-go, we're going to build something really special in the women's space, and we're going to do something really good here, so It's a credit to the people that have come in and been able to embrace that kind of culture and viewpoint. It's not a knock on the clubs that were there previously because they are now trying to really build something good. I think you could say that about 90% of the league at a minimum. It's fantastic to see, really, and it's exciting that we are a part of that culture.
1: It's important. You said 90% of teams. That's right. We know who the other 10% are. We've already touched on
0: Yeah, look... We'll move on from that part. Um, one last transfer we'll go through. We won't talk about a bit too much about Kisinga how she hope I pronounced that name correctly, mainly because I don't think you know a lot about her. I don't know a lot about her, but what, who we do know a lot about is Casey Dubon. Back to the league after a stint in the AFL. Looks like she's really going to take this dual athlete, dual sport athlete seriously, so it looks like that won't be the last we see her in the AFL, but doesn't look like Victory were happy to keep her on with her doing that. Mariners are happy to bring her in. Obviously, it's a fantastic signing for them, and they've had a good start to the season. This is going to build on top of that. My question to you now, Courtney Newborn, I know she is a bit of an injury, well, not a bit. She has been just an injury replacement for Sarah Langman. I don't know how long Sarah Langman's going to be out for, but Courtney Newborn's been playing fantastic. Dumont's coming in. You'd assume she's just going to come in as the number one, but do you drop Newborn considering the way she's playing, or do you go not... Uh, no matter what you've done in the past, Casey, you've got to earn your spot in this team considering they've got to keep it there that's playing really good.
1: Sorry to to constantly refer back to Perth, but it is it is my bread and butter. And as you'll know, Cody, the recruitment of Sally James was one that was really sought after in um the preseason. Morgan Aquino has played every single game and there's a quite a, a healthy edge with competition there. Now, it's a completely different kettle of fish because we're talking about Casey Dumont here. We're talking about someone who, I mean, we all remember what she did in the, the semifinal last season. Like, it, you're talking about an elite level player. Um, healthy competition is something that I think the Australian goalkeeping space really needs at the domestic level, and that is increasingly being sort of manifested across all, all ages and, and all areas of the spectrum. The thing with Casey Dumont is it, it is just a little bit different because of her vast experience. But I would say, you know, after a winter playing footy, how fit are you? How ready are you to go? And the answer to that question would very much be the reasons as to why Casey Dumont does or doesn't start. If she's back in her prime, Newborn doesn't stand a chance. If she wants to get back up to speed and, you know, she's joining a new club, new environment, quite literally a new club, right? A reformed club. Um, you know, there's a, a few elements at play here where I can understand if they take their time. But I'm also very aware of the fact that we're talking about an insanely quality player for this level of football and it wouldn't surprise me if she jumped straight into the number one spot. So there's a lot to lot to think about, a lot to analyse. But to take from the from the Perth example, giving that healthy bit of competition, how much better of a player has Morgan Aquino been having Sally James around? So Oh she's shouldn't be fantastic is, this season. Yeah. What level is Newborn gonna get to just having Casey Dumont around to learn off? Yeah, of
0: course. And so Newborn's She's been fantastic. You never know. It could take her to another level. It's been good to see her at an A-league level, but by the same token, you wouldn't mind seeing Casey Dumont on playing again. It's You don't usually look at keepers as an X-factor player, but Casey do want someone that really could do that. Um, We'll leave the transfer talk for there because there's obviously another high-profile piece of news that's come around in the last couple of weeks that I did leave out intentionally at the start so we could kind of talk about it in depth here. Brisbane Raw. they... Part ways with Gareth McPherson. Alex Smith comes in. Took a lot of people by surprise considering Brisbane had actually had a decent start to the season. Obviously, that opening round win against Melbourne victory caught, you don't want to talk about upsets. That's probably been one of the bigger ones we've seen this season. I don't think a lot of people were expecting that. So 100% took a lot of people by surprise. Alex Smith obviously opening up his account with a loss. What did you make of the situation? Because I was a little bit surprised. I can't say I was Overly devastated Gareth McPherson was let go. I don't know if he was someone that I looked at as a stellar early coach, but I never looked at him as someone that was overly bad either. So for, the, for Kaz and Zach to make this decision so early in the season, it definitely threw me off a little bit.
1: Yeah, the uh, the highlight of Kaz and Zach there um, is something that we, we probably should address. To what extent? Look, look I, I don't I don't know, but I have heard that... Alex Smith is is a friend of theirs, and that's why he's been appointed to the position, at which point, on a scale of Western Sydney Wanderers to Western United, where do you think this move ranks? It's far more in the realms of a questionable decision that a team like Wanderers has made recently, far more than it is the indication of an incredibly well-run club like Western United. That's, that's the face value of what this is. But, but let me say this, on Gareth McPherson, Tell you a story about when I met Gareth McPherson for the first time after a routine defeat away to glory. And I remember the people around me at the time, and I think I've actually already told this story on, on the show.
0: No, I actually, I so, can't remember
1: it. Okay, that's fine. The people around me at the time basically were like, this guy is just like mid. He's just mid. Like
0: He's just there. He's no, no, just that, that's,
1: there. that's what I mean. And, and ultimately, People gave me a lot of shit for how I predicted Brisbane Raw to, to to finish, but at the end of the day, like that was just that for me was just the summi- the the summary of of, of what this, is, this is all about. Right? It's it's um it's just basically being at a club where you know I don't know where their ambition is. I don't know what they want to see. And and having spoken to Zach on this sort of on the FPF podcast network having had that conversation with him and and having heard a bit of aspiration, looking back on it now, not afraid to say that he was probably just doing it for talk and doing it for show. And I don't think that Brisbane have a lot of the boardroom aspirations to be a leading women's program. Ultimately why something like this has happened. And again, you know, just, just to be candid about it, to be honest, the, the whole Robbie Hooker situation at the Wanderers is akin to what's going on with Alex Smith and, and Brisbane. It's not something where we look at it and we're like, Well, that's a big statement of intent. It's just it's just crap going on behind the scenes. And that affecting a club like, yeah, I'm I'm not gonna want you to be in the top six. I'm not gonna want you to be a competitive football team because you're not showing any vision and any aspiration. And unfortunately, we just had the polar opposite of this conversation. <laughs> but it's true. And and it makes me worried. It makes me really worried about a lot of what's actually going on in 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 Brisbane and and how the football club actually wants to wants to be run now maybe Alex Smith comes out and he's a pretty decent coach the results are still ticking this side is comfortably in the top six look it, it's very likely to happen but this is also the same the same sort of club that had good form under and I've already forgotten his name the guy who was Gareth yeah, No, no 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 I'm talking about on the men's side a few years ago. The guy who was the solicitor's brother who came in for the end of the season? Oh,
0: yeah. yeah I forgot his I've forgotten too.
1: his name. I've forgotten his <laughs> name. Yeah, this is what we're getting at, right? Um, They can have good results under Alex Smith. It doesn't mean that Alex Smith uh, was appointed by the best possible means with the best possible vision and the best possible intention. Do you, you know what I mean? Um, See,
0: my only rebuttal to that would be, and you compared it to the Robbie Hooker situation, Robbie Hooker came from Mount Coler under 13s. Alex Smith does have ex- recent experience in the A-League Women. He was the assistant coach of Melbourne City, I believe, while Patrick Norbo was there. And when the episode that you were on, that Riley Dobson was on, actually last season, when we'll talk about Newcastle Jets and who they could possibly have to replace Ash Wilson when she departed, the first person that she brought up was actually Alex Smith. That's the only reason why I am overly aware of who this guy is. So there's. Okay tangible quality there that some other people have seen in the past. So I don't think there's a complete sense of hopelessness. I think there's a possibility that this could actually turn out to be a really good appointment for Brisbane. Whether it plays out like that, I don't know, whether how the means of how he actually got appointed, I don't know either, I don't, I, I, I can't say I'm across his personal relationship with... Maybe, the-
1: maybe you're not, maybe you're not, but I think it's fair to say, and what I'm getting at here is you don't have a lot of faith in the reasons or the intention as to why, right? Again, regardless of how it actually works out, I think, and regardless of the lack of knowledge that we might have and the things that we suspect, I think you can still sort of say on face value, you can't look at it and be massively confident in it. You see know
0: what I mean? No, but see, that's the thing. I'm. I know you're looking at it in a way of they've gotten rid of this coach, they've brought this guy in. There's not a lot of credentials to this guy. I'm looking at it from a perspective of I've had an A-League women's player who has worked under him say that he'd be a good appointment for an A-League club. Yeah. So okay. that's okay. why I want to give it the time of day to see uh, how it goes. I'm not out. I'm having
1: two separate conversations here. I'm talking about sort of the running, the day-to-day running of the club, and the reasons why the sacking happened. Because because we can yeah. we can admit that the sa- the sacking the sacking was certainly not on pitch related, right? So that, that's why for me, it's it does. Point.
0: I think even when they came out, they said there were standards that they didn't believe were being met. And it looks like that was from a training perspective or at least a train, oh, what, what they saw from mean? the training pitch. Come on, come on. I have guys. no idea. What we don't see what happens means? behind the scenes. That's not available to public. In- to, that's not public information. So yes. we can only sit here and speculate. We don't go and watch Brisbane Rawls training sessions. No. So I guess if the club wants fans to have a bit of faith and go, okay, yeah, they're making the right decision. They probably need to come out and explain that. Maybe in a little bit more detail than what they did, and look too, um, Casper Taft and Zach Anderson's credit. They have actually been on the forefront with a lot of decisions and been quite open with why certain things have happened. Maybe this one that probably could have been a little bit more as well. It's also hard. They're also a lot more open than what a lot of other clubs are. So they're
1: they're insanely open. Okay, and Zach was a great chat, but I just don't know if the the willingness to have a lot of discourse is actually a substantive, uh, you know, sort of sign of the right decisions are being made and they have the best interest of of particularly this women's team at, at heart. And I, like, again, it just, some, something doesn't feel right here and it needs to be addressed. But in the short term, if you want to talk on the pitch, yeah, this Brisbane team have actually had things sticking really well Alex Smith is a good coach, right? So if you want to talk in that respect, that's fine. But I just think that there's a deeper issue here that we could dig into. If you don't want to dig into it, f- fair, enough, fair enough. It's not that I don't want to dig into it. I just no, no, don't I understand think, it.
0: I'm not think, the one that spoke to um Zach Anderson, to be fair. You're the one that's a bit more across it than I am.
1: Yeah, no, I, I know. I I think we we want to take a different angle with this, but we're also mindful of what we're saying and how we're saying it. And I just think that, you know, it, it is it is what it is. But, yeah, uh, there's, there are multiple angles you could take with this. And I think if we, if we want to talk in the short term, we're still going to see a pretty solid, pretty good Brisbane team. But uh, much like the conversations that we're having around the Mariners, for example, I just think that, that there's some digging that could, could do here and, and, and some information that we could do to find out.
0: Unfortunately, it's not necessarily information that we have at this present moment, no. which we'd be doing well if we did. To be fair, that's just,
1: <laughs> yes, oh, and, and could- honestly, like neither of us. I think it's fair to say that with FPF on the whole, we're not always going to be investigative journalists. A lot of what we do, especially when clubs give us access, like we are literally there to just talk on the pitch and talk about football. So it makes the aura of this and the things that we know and the access we want to give people, it, it makes a lot of that very hard to seep through because we're not always the first line of contact for, oh, wow, this really big thing happened. I mean, I can tell you right now, I'm on the front lines at Perth Glory I was, I was like, maybe like the 11th person to find out about, uh, from a journalistic perspective, uh, like the 11th person to find out about the whole ownership thing going deep. And and it had already sort of been public information by then. So basically what I'm getting at is when it, when it comes to this sort of stuff, we do have to tread carefully. We want to tread carefully. We don't want to point fingers and be accusing people of stuff. We don't want to say things that are untrue. Yeah, exactly, exactly. but at the same time, I can tell you right now, I can sense alarm bells with this, and I feel like that's what I want to articulate, and that's what I'm trying to say. At a boardroom level, something just sort of seems off here, and I can't shake that feeling, and that's what I want to articulate. We're having this conversation. We're having a very honest conversation on this podcast about the boardroom level and how these clubs are being run, and it's something that we love opening up about, because we we love seeing the growth of this competition, and that's why I just need to need to be able to sense that that something just doesn't feel right about Brisbane, and I can't guarantee their consistency in this. And this is why I have a lack in faith of them on the, on the pitch, because things off the pitch don't seem to be completely smooth. And with Gareth McPherson sacking, clearly they weren't.
0: Yeah, look, it will be interesting to see how that kind of plays out over the next, at least in the immediate future. Obviously, the next time we record, they'll have only played one other match, but. How this looks at the end of the season. It's, that's, we'll definitely come, but circle back to this. Maybe just before the end of the season, you never know. Um, Brisbane could be flying Brisbane are down in the dumps. That's probably when we have that conversation going, okay, what the hell's going on at a border level? Cause this doesn't look good. But moving forward, um, until the next time we record, it'll only be one round of matches. Western United face Western Sydney Wanderers. Western Sydney Wanderers returning to action. Wellington Phoenix host Perth Glory. That will be an intriguing clash. Uh, Melbourne Victory and the Mariners, if Jimon plays that game, that will definitely be an interesting one considering a lot of victory fans would have probably liked to have seen her back. Canberra finally back in action against Newcastle Jets. Sydney play Melbourne City. That is a marquee fixture if I've ever seen one. And Brisbane Raw play Adelaide. So a little bit to look forward to. Anything catch your eye there?
1: Uh yeah, the Wellington and Perth game not only are both sides sort of overperforming compared to the standards that were set out for them but the game's actually in Auckland finally. <laughs> <enough. laughs> That's an Which, interesting one. Yeah. Uh the game's at Mount Smart Stadium I believe. Um and that will actually be a further trip than usual for for glory. So very very interesting one to keep your eye on uh is their undefeated run going to stay? Will Phoenix come through in a big way? Will the travel affect them, you know? Uh they've got to do this they at least get the international break afterwards. Um, but, yeah, just interesting to see because uh, Perth, I assume, will be out of their depth Um and Wellington, we know, can be big hitters, especially at home in New Zealand.
0: That will definitely be an interesting one to play out. Definitely looking forward to Sydney City, City on my end, mainly because it's a possibility I could get myself down to that. Um, yeah, but, but, also,
1: but also, Cody, let, let's just address the fact that we have a few teams there who are winless and we would like to see which one is the most likely to be able to get off the board um going going forward. It's, there's like, for me, like, there's a few interesting dynamics that could really tick in, tick into gear in this next round.
0: Before we finish, I have a question that I want to pose to you. Just yeah. something to kind of get the, get your brain ticking. Are we doing,
1: are we doing the fun trivia thing again? Or no,
0: no, 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 we're not doing trivia just yet. I want to give that a bit of a break. Um, no, just a genuine question. I want to make you think a little bit, but it was announced today, obviously. Alex Chidiak doesn't look like she'll be returning or well, she's not returning to mm. racing Louisville. So for the back half of the Alex season or even from now, oh, she's still got a season to play out to guess. But from for the back half of the Alex season, she looks like she will be available. Which club do you think should be making a move for her?
1: I'm inclined to it's like the obvious answer is victory, right? Um You'd think think so. You'd think so. (laughs) Yeah, I I I just let me let me try and really think about it. But like, I feel like obviously, you know, like in terms of uh, Victorian teams, City of City seems set, even if they have a few depth problems. Western United, uh, you know, they're already pretty stacked, and their vision is pretty clear. I Can't see it being a, a Brisbane or an Adelaide. I mean, it'd be wild to think that she'd go out west, uh, even if their form is really good. I mean, I, what about that, a Sydney FC? Works, the Sydney clubs. Like a Sydney okay. FC
0: or a Hawksby replacement in a way.
1: Yeah, well, Wanderers don't have that ambition. I'm still inclined with Sydney to say that they're still really stacked and they know what they want. But, but also, in terms of the high profile, she would be like a really big asset to that club. Oh.
0: Imagine how good they'd look if they added that to their midfield.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm still inclined to say it's victory, to be honest. I think they're the best possible option.
0: It did make the most sense considering how well she was playing before she went over back to America. And even last season, winning the Julie Dolan after 13 weeks of actually playing in the league. It's absolutely nuts. Um, Adelaide probably, look, I wouldn't count it out considering that is she is a South Australian. I think there is that element that could kind of play into it there. And if Adelaide add her to their midfield, that's massive signing for them. We talk about Chelsea Dorber having a positive impact. Imagine if you have Alex Chidiac playing behind her. That's nuts. Yep. We,
1: yeah, I think you actually uh, you're you're onto it there. But is it like in terms of Marquis signing to sort of come in mid-season? I mean, maybe it is Adelaide. No, I, I don't know, but I'm just uh, <laughs> I'm I'm skeptical because I feel like the return
0: to Melbourne victory just feels a bit more romantic. It, it just feels yeah, it, like it, it makes no, more it sense. It
1: does. It does. Like <laughs> you don't
0: need to give me a definite answer. I just wanted to create no, a bit no, of this no, 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 because
1: no, I, I actually really <laughs> want to get into the woods of this. It's, it's a good discussion when you when you think about it. Um. We've just sort of outlined that thing with Adelaide where it's like they want to be a youth recruitment. So let, let me picture this, and I think this is where you might be on to something that's bang, 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 the correct answer. Um, that was weird. <laughs> um uh Cody, the youth development thing at Adelaide, compare it for a second with Van Eggman's impact at Newcastle. Two things we've opened up about. We've actually, we've touched on a lot this podcast. It's been been pretty fire. But if Chidiag had a, a stint at the back end for the Reds and offered that Van Egmond impact, but offered it in a bigger way, is that not a way for the sort of academy project at the female program in South Australia to not really get kicking in a really big way? Does that not sort of make perfect sense as a recruitment?
0: A oh, 100% it would. I think yeah. the only question that you probably have there is if Adelaide have the pool power for it. That's probably the only thing that holds them back. But other than that, it would make sense from her perspective to go somewhere where she's going to be an outright star player, which she could go anywhere in the league and she'd be an outright star player, to be fair.
1: Yep.
0: But you're going to your hometown. There's You have that hometown aspect where players going to go. Well, young fans, sorry, are going to go, wow, we really want to be able to watch this play live. They're, your Adelaide's going to be able to bring in bumper crowds. You've got a plethora of young players just sitting behind the first team that would love the opportunity to learn off someone like Chidiac. There, there's a lot of pointers there that kind of make, make this make sense, if you know what I mean.
1: Is it, is it plethora or is it plethora?
0: Mate, I'm not an English teacher. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I, you know, so <laughs>
1: something, something that gets me right. So in, in in WA, I'm just going on a totally irrelevant tangent because I think the show's about to end anyway, right? In WA, we have like FIFO workers, right? Like people who fly in, fly out. And I've I've heard a friend of mine recently pronounce it FIFO. Uh, again, it might just be like an Eastern States thing that people that people say FIFO.
0: I've <laughs> always heard FIFO. Yeah, so... yeah,
1: no, no, I know, but but just the it's like the intentional mispronunciation or like separate pronunciations of things. And hearing you say uh, <laughs> or plethora, plethora, like uh, I, I don't know, it's it's an intriguing. You've got one. me
0: questioning myself now. I actually don't don't remember no, how to no, pronounced no, but, it. No, no, no. But
1: here's here's the thing: if you can pronounce a word in multiple ways, which I, that's its language, it is technically subjective, right? Always do it the wrong way. The wrong way to piss people off or to really get people thinking, you know. So that that's where you've opened up my mind, and I think it's fantastic for. It's fantastic podcasting, Cody. Is what it is.
0: I have no idea what that was. Okay? <laughs> that was, you know what? You've gone on some strange tangents on this podcast. That is up there with the strangest, maybe taking top spot. But you know what? Just for your sake, I'm keeping it in there. I ain't going. That's not going on the cutting room floor. We're going to end it there because I think we're starting to get a little tired and we're starting to lose it a little bit. Mind you, it's five o'clock where Matt is in at night.
1: I don't know how you're, you've just woken up from a nap, to be fair. So- <laughs> yeah, I've got, got a nap because we've got Socceroos tonight.
0: Yeah, you know what? And I can
1: say tonight because it's 10 p.m. WA time.
0: I'm sorry, way to flex on us Eastern
1: <laughs> s- um, state
0: losers. I have to stay up to 1 o'clock in the morning to watch Socceroos. Um, we're going to end it there before we start talking about more irrelevant shit. <laughs> My name is Cody Ogino. I've been your host today. This is the Front Page Dub podcast. If you want to catch us on socials, Front page football at Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn as well if you're a business type, and probably somewhere else that I'm forgetting, unfortunately. But that has been this episode. Like I said, my name's Cody Ojeda. I've been joined by Matt Olsen. Matt, do you have any last words that don't relate to how to pronounce it?
1: Oh, Uh I'll tell you what. Um, Get ready for a really bump around a football. How's that?
0: Bump around a football international break and i once again call out to any students doing a thesis in some medical field study women's acls and why they keep rupturing because we really need some discourse around it in this country anyway we'll leave it there we'll see you in a fortnight i hope you've enjoyed the episode